Welcome to the Genuine Gals Podcast, where we talk about real shit in a fun way. Just two gal pals talking about life like we're out to lunch. Let's get into it. Okay, welcome. Welcome. This week, we are going to get into different reasons why we have the fear of failure and different scenarios of where this can come up and kind of how to combat it. This topic is important to us because I think we we all face this pretty regularly. This can this can really tap into a lot of different areas of our lives. So let's get into it. Okay. So fear of failure is, I think, something that I've faced a lot in the past. Honestly, always. <laughs> I think it's something that's like pretty heavy on the brain most of the time. Um, and I think majority of the time, like getting out of it really comes with knowing what I know. Um, and I, that is something I, I think we, I, I don't know, I'd, I'd like to discuss of how you get out of it, but, um, really I approaching this from the side of, you know, I'm every day doing a job that sometimes, I don't feel fit for. Right. So that is, oh my gosh, what is that called when you don't feel equipped? Um, oh my gosh. Incompetent. Um, imposter syndrome. syndrome. So I think fear of failure and imposter syndrome (laughs) definitely go a little bit hand in hand of like, I don't know. I, I don't feel like I am equipped to do this job. And then I use spiral and say, well, maybe I'll fail. Maybe I just shouldn't do it. Um, or gosh, I don't feel worthy of my partner. I feel like I have a lot of things in my past or, you know, whatever, whatever it may be, um, that are going to lead me to just fail in this marriage. So I'm just not going to do it. Um, so I think a lot of times, it's either overcoming the fear, right? Or you give in to the fear. Um, now there's an extreme right disorder. I don't even know if I'm saying this correctly. Acticophobia. I don't know. How do you spell it? A-T-Y-C-H-I-P-H-O-B-I-A. A-T-Y-C-H-I? Yeah. A tichophobia? Yeah, is, is that wrong? <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah. And then, you know, you can get into all kinds of stuff with that, but I don't, I mean, yeah. What's your, what's your take on kind of that side of stuff? Yeah. So obviously I think the real world examples that you just mentioned are, I think everyone encounters them at in some way, shape or form, unless you are just so unwilling to take on life. (laughs) So, you know, it's like part of choosing to live life is trying. And if you don't try anything, then you probably die pretty quickly, you know? So I think the, uh, the try piece and, you know, there's that famous quote, there is no try, there is only do. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, that's kind of true, right? Because you're doing and maybe you don't accomplish a thing, but you're still working to accomplish it. And all the stuff that you're doing to work to accomplish it is actually building you up. And there are a couple of philosophers and psychologists and like great thinkers that I fully admire that think that that is the purpose of life is work. 
We are work animals. We are, we are wired for it, right? And so when people enter into something like a marriage and don't think that they have to constantly pay attention and work like they would at a job that requires body, mind, and soul, you know, it's just kind of like, okay, well, that ma- it makes sense why that failed. Like you, you stopped trying, you stopped working at it or whatever. But I think the roadmap of how to do it is a little uncertain, especially when it comes to something as personal as marriage, because everybody has to be a little bit different and figure out yeah. their dynamic differently. But when it comes to like, I want to write a book, it's like, okay, there are tried and true ways of people that have successfully done that. Yeah, your pathway can be tailored, but like not doing it is probably not an, like not writing every day or at least a couple times a week is probably not an option for you. You know, like there's definitely some patterns that we share with other people and that's why success stories can help us. But um, like a formula, formula, there's a standard formula to get a book done. Um, some people go with it. Some people follow it to the T. Some people are like in the middle. Um, but yeah, there's a reason for that. Yeah, totally. Right. Like you can't just write a page. <laughs> Nobody's going to buy that. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. So yeah, the, the, it goes from there, right? Should it, can it yeah. be a hundred pages? Can it be 10,000 pages? Like, no, there's that, there's that sweet spot. There's that range right in the middle. But anyways, the, the only fear piece, fear, failure, psychology piece that I'm familiar of is like how fear interacts with our brain and also what happens or what motivates that fear, right? What motivates being afraid to fail at a marriage? And hmm. I think the shame piece is, is the biggest one. Yeah. Is the like public shame. And we evolved to have that feature so that we can keep each other in line and work as a social species. Yeah, no, there's a lot to unpack there. I, I do, I have this, like, especially for marriage. It's interesting because for myself, I've never had the fear of like, I'm not going to do that for fear that it's not going to work out because in my mind, it's going to, like, if I put my mind to something that I care about and I'm committing that hard, it's, it, it's, it has to work out. I think that there are things that creep in that are from society, from TV shows. Um, like I was just watching this TV show or like, uh, a Netflix show called sex life and you know, they're happily married. And then eight years in, they have two kids, they're happy and thoughts start to creep in of the sex life she had with her ex-boyfriend and how much she loved him and all this stuff. And then lo and behold, he actually like pops up and is in their life and like is in, yeah. Like she runs into him on the street, all this stuff, obviously to show and whatever, but still then it causes this rift. She doesn't cheat, but she like almost emotionally cheats, if you will, because she then starts journaling about the past and like fantasizing about the past husband finds it. And he actually does the opposite thing that you would think. Like he didn't get mad. He just like used it as a manual of how to please his wife, which was, is courageous, but then he like, doesn't, he doesn't keep it together. And like, doesn't talk Mm -hmm. about it is emotionally guarded and all these things. And she's also a psychologist too. So it just adds this different level of like, she knows. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's really interesting, but all of that to say, it's like, 
when you, when I watch things like that, it makes me think about my own life, not to say that like I'm doubt or in any way, shape or form believe that that could happen. But it, I think it's good to get you thinking in the sense of like, okay, what would I do if that was my situation? I would do this. I would do this differently, or this is what I would, you know, this is how I would handle that. Or that's where my brain goes. I usually can't watch a show like that and not think of myself, but all of that to say, I don't fully believe in that scenario, especially like if that were real life, I don't believe that like she would have gotten in that marriage with the thought that like, Oh, this is going to be effed up. And by me thinking of, you know, this, I think probably in the very, very depths of her mind, she's like, well, I still love my ex-boyfriend, but he's not an option. And so I have to move on and I need to marry this guy. And I think when you put yourself kind of in that scenario, um, it, it makes it so that I don't know, like you can, I'm a very like planner. Like I want to see everything from every single side. And like, we've talked about this before. We evaluate every situation potentially before it happens. I will say with loving my husband and all of that, I didn't question really anything. I was like, there are so many scenarios that can happen, but I know that we love each other and we can get, we have to be able to get through it. And I can analyze this over and over and have analysis paralysis. But at the end of the day, that's not going to do any good. Like I'm just going to end up in a deep, dark hole of wonderment and not make choice. Um, and so at some point you have to like stop yourself and be able to move past it. Um, because at some that, point. yeah, at some point, I mean, I think, you know, every degree that you're going to take, if, if you have the fear that it's going to fail, it's, I mean, we've said it before, it's better to have loved than to have, oh God, why do I always mess it up? <laughs> it's better to have loved and lost than to have never loved at all. Perfect. Um, yeah, <laughs> I got it. I got it. Um, and so I think that that, I mean, that's like failure in love right there. Um, but I, again, I don't think it's also healthy to go into a relationship with the inkling that it could fail. Like, I don't think I ever stepped into probably cause I'm a hopeless romantic, but I never stepped into any relationship thinking first off, like this is going to fail because the, the goal of dating is that you're going to find the person. Well, maybe not for everyone, but the, the, the foundational goal of dating is to find the person that you want to spend the rest of your life with. Um, again, not for everyone. Some people are just looking for a sex partner or whatever. And okay, cool. You, you keep on keeping on, but, um, the initial definition, if you will, is to find someone that you want to share that with. And so I would just say that, like, I, I don't know why that's probably the part, the, the part of my life that I was the most blind of, like, I put on all blinders, no failure was possible. And then when it did fail, I would be super heartbroken, but I always had this image of like, oh yeah, I could marry this guy for this reason. And then they would show me their cards more and more and be like, mm, no, no, no. Okay. And when I had enough no's, then I was like, okay, bye. But it was, you know, you're, you're feeling it out. And I think that that we need to, I almost need to take that into more areas of my life. And I have, I've definitely started projects. Like I've started 
something back when I lived in Flagstaff, I started <laughs> this like quote unquote market. It's called bottom floor market. I made a logo. I made a website. I had an Etsy and I was going to sell these like hand done signs and I was going to then develop it into so much more. It was going to be photography. It was going to be all this stuff. <laughs> it lasted. Oh, and a blog, all of this stuff. It was, it lasted for maybe a month. <laughs> like, and it didn't, it wasn't it was all me. I just like lost the drive to do it because I didn't see anything fruitful immediately. There was no instant gratification, which I struggle with. If there's no instant gratification, I'm like out the door sometimes. And that's just where I'm at. But I think that the reason why let's say entrepreneurs are so successful is because they literally try and try again. They throw ideas as see if it sticks, they, they fail more times than they've actually succeeded, but the success has led them to their wealth, their abundant wealth. Um, so they're not afraid to try. They have those blinders on like I do for love, but they have it for business and they don't, they don't care. They're just like, we're going for it. So it's like, I, I want to, I wish, no, I don't wish I love my life. I really love where it went, where it came from, all that. I do think that the next generation coming up has a different type of advantage with social media and the resources that are out there to start businesses. Um, that's a different topic for a different day, but I, I think it's not to say what was me. Like I didn't have that. We didn't do that, but I, I think that the world is changing very rapidly to allow young people to have quick success, quicker success with side hustles while they're in school or whatever. They could come out of school and making a ton of money. I mean, they did a study where um, they pulled a bunch of seniors in high school of what they want to be or freshmen. I don't remember exactly what it was. Um, and like 75% of them said they want to be influencers. I'm like, Hmm. You want to be an influencer and you're, I don't know. It's just, I understand the sentiment, but I'm like, that's no, what, where, how, how are we here? Oh, I'm, I totally understand that actually, but okay. So I understand it, but I also like, I don't understand how we got here and how we've idolized this job so much that the majority of people want to be it and they don't see, or they haven't gotten the education or they don't see the fact that one day those are going to be non-existent or downhill. Like it's not, it's not sustainable. That's, I mean, it's understandable because that's just how we are. We've always been that way. We've always seen the top of the top and the, the 1% and said, I'm going to aim for that. And yeah. So I'm going to completely disagree with you. Surprise, surprise. I think that the fear of failure is necessary, healthy, especially when you're looking at a relationship that has high stakes, a job. I think entrepreneurs actually are afraid of failure. And those are the successful ones that actually look at, okay, what what would it take to fail? Failure mm-hmm. is a possibility. I failed before. I got back up how do I not do that again? Because that sucked, you know? And I think Mm. that that is 
the healthy fear drive. But like you said, the analysis paralysis, I totally agree. You don't want to just be afraid. But it's like, you know, when you're out in the ocean, you need to have a healthy fear of the ocean kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and I really do think that that I is. I don't have that. I have ignorance when I'm out in the ocean. <laughs> I mean, I know. I mean, I know what to look for. But if I, I'm, I'm the one that's like, again, if, if you introduce the fear to me, I will be so scared shitless in the corner. So I choose ignorance, full well-knowing subconsciously all the things, right? So you don't want that person captaining a ship. It's it's something I turn on and off. Right, exactly. So when you're in charge of keeping everyone alive, yes. right. you, you can't be ignorant and you can't be blind. That's why I'm terrified to be a mom. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like entering into a, a new family, yeah. entering into a marriage. I think you you mentioned that it was unhealthy to have a fear of failure or to like think that it could fail. And I- I think the exact opposite. Yeah, you shouldn't be like, it's just going to fail. But you should be like, here's the thing. It's the middle. It's the middle. Yeah, you should, but you should be afraid of it still. I think like you should be motivated by that. Okay, this is something I don't want to end up. This is a place I don't want to end up divorced. And I'm afraid of ending up there. So, what do I need to do to look Mm. at that failure? And say, here are the steps that it that would take me to there so that I can pay attention and make sure. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's the middle ground. Like the very extreme is like, well, this is gonna fail. Why, why try? Um, and so I think the middle ground, very much so. Yes, 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 yes. I think maybe that's not even a fear, that's realism. No, it that's what fear is. Fear is a re well, okay. <sighs> Fear can be unrealistic and unhealthy and and take you out, but only a real person, a person who's oriented properly has, like, listens to fear. Okay. Right? Like, that's how we survived, you know? That's how we navigated the environment. Having, that's why you don't tell kids that are afraid of the dark, don't worry, you can't, you shouldn't be afraid because there's no monsters in the dark, there are mm. always monsters in the dark. Like we have a deep embedded, that's when crime happens. That's when like the nocturnal animals that slither in the night come out and and like leak their poison. Like the night is something <laughs> to be aware of the monsters, right? And the fear, like literally what happens in your amygdala is it dilates your pupils, it turns on your adrenaline, it gets you ready to face the monster, right? Mm. And you want, you need that. If you're just like, not afraid, laissez-faire, those parts of you don't turn on and you're in- That makes so much sense. Okay. (laughs) Why? That makes so much sense. Okay. (laughs) No, I just, I just think about the dark. Sorry, I'm going down a path, the dark path. Instantaneous darkness. I'm like on edge. I'm like, there's someone gonna pop out around the corner. Someone's gonna have a gun. Someone's gonna be in my showers. Like that makes so much sense in terms of survival. Because none of that's ever happened to me. But I'm like, done it, done it. Like I'm like on alert. You're doing finger guns. I'm doing finger guns. Like I'm creeping around a corner. <laughs> But that makes so much sense. Like I, I never thought of it that way of like, we're, 
I mean, sometimes I think of us as robots, but we're like pre-programmed to have these things like more and more. This is why I love talking to you more and more. Like, I feel like I just realized how crazy our design is, like how we were made. Um, anyways, yes, I think, I mean, yes, that's fear, but I, yeah, I could go so many directions with that, but I do, I think that yes, fear is healthy. I think we used to talk about this in the Christian space all the time to of like fearing God. It's like being God fearing is so good. And like all of us, I was like, what the hell does that mean? God, am I supposed to be scared of you? I'm so confused. And like, I think you can keep going down the path that you were going, because I think that that is needs more description. Yeah. So fear is also part of awe. And I think that's what it's mean by fearing, fearing God is that you feel awe in the presence. So when your hair stands up on your arm, that's called piloerection, I think. Yeah. Piloerection. And it's the same sensation that cats your get. Your hair when has erections? Piloerection. Yeah. So it's oh. just like hair standing up, kind of like, you know, a dick a dick erection. I I don't know what that is. A a penile direction. I don't know. But like, you know, it's the same concept. And I know people are going to be like, ha 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 erection. I'm that's what I'm doing right now. I'm going to (laughs) start calling them hair erections. Come on, get your head out of the gutter. My hair is erecting. We're we're in our thirties now. No, I I haven't. Yeah, no. Yeah. Especially living with my husband. My brain is like a 10 year old. (laughs) Oh my God. We uh, sorry. It's okay. I we should have a podcast though, just because this popped in my head about why men think drawing penises and penis <laughs> jokes and like looking at penises is funny. But like I as soon as a woman laughs at their penis, it's like, they're like no. they have sex, yeah, they're like immediately destroyed. So <laughs> I need to know what what that disconnect is. So maybe we can put that on the top. Okay. <laughs> I, I I need to study that. Like I need to understand. I asked my fiance was like, why do you guys think it's so funny when like somebody makes a penis joke on the TV? Or, you know, why do you guys think it's funny to draw penises on bathroom stalls or or whatever? But then as soon as a woman thinks your penis is funny, you're just <laughs> like immediately ashamed. <laughs> It's like no longer funny to you. <laughs> well, okay. That's pretty funny. So <laughs> I would love to know. I really would study that. We'll we'll do a whole combo. But okay, sex life, that uh that show I was telling you about the last episode. <laughs> they have a lot of full frontal. It's kind of like watching a soft porn, honestly, this show. So ladies, if you need it, go for it. It's Yes. I literally paused it every single time my husband walked in because he was like, you're watching porn. (laughs) Uh, um, Anyways, Um, but the last episode, (laughs) the guy ends up, he's getting roadhead while he's driving his car super fast and they end up crashing like a very, very bad crash. So the girl ends up biting off his dick and um, he ends up getting (laughs) dick and he's in the gym with his friend that he got in an accident with <laughs> he's showing it to him and he's like oh wait let me pump it up they put in his testicles a pump for him to pump it up. I was 
who came up with this and is this real and so then all the guys no. in the locker room start gathering to see his dick he's like wait a second hang on it's not fully there and then he's like swinging it around <laughs> i was wait, dying so is I'm it like, real or is it not real like a real thing that they do no like surgically? is it, is it no, no no is the story real like or are they just acting i don't i, I mean it was his wiener and he was pumping his wiener. So I don't know how you do that in television to make that happen. I mean, Cammy, is this, you know how you watch reality TV and the people it's their real lives. Oh, this isn't a real life thing. Okay. It's not okay. reality TV. No, I, I totally this thought like it was. <laughs> I was like, holy cannoli. Not real life. No, <laughs> this is just like a, a, I don't even know the difference between reality TV and just TV, just TV just acting. Yeah. Oh my God. I was like, this is so funny. Cause every guy just like, you saw them slowly creep and they're like, let me look at your wiener. There was another full frontal of the Australian man. That's the ex-boyfriend. His dick was the size of my arm, like literally hanging. I don't know if that was modified or not, but it was literally like this. I was like, Okay, and that's the guy that you've had the best sex of your life with. And also, ow. Oh, God, that lady has a cave. She's got to have. She has to. And the only thing that I can think of is maybe they were like, you know how, because it was like the guy seeing the uh, the husband seeing the ex-boyfriend. He was like stalking him. The only thing that I could think of is maybe in his brain, he just like over-dramatized like he has a huge dick. And that's what they were trying to depict. That's the only thing I was like, maybe he doesn't actually have that big of one. But anyways, off tangent, apologies. That's okay. I actually think that the, the, like I made this connection just now, but I actually think that the part that I was talking about with the girl laughing at the guy's dick and him being ashamed is that one of their fears because that's failure, right? That's failure of my dick will give you everything. Yeah. Or no, like, I don't think guys are as scared of failing reproductively. I think they're more scared of, of no longer having the option to have sex. I really, that, I think that's it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they want to, they want their phallus to be worshiped. And I think that they are all, that's what worship is, right? You pay attention to something. They were all worshiping that dude's blow up penis because that was Mm -hmm. the most important thing in that room, right? The thing you pay attention to, the thing everybody congregates to pay attention to and praise or like look at in wonder. <laughs> That's what worship is essentially. So anyways, yeah. all to say, I think that guys need their dicks worshiped and, um, but like, especially not- by women that are supposed to love it. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. And that's why porn depicts that. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because usually like if you get a group of girls together, they're all like penises are weird. You look at them. It's not like I'm like turned on by your wiener. Let's take a survey. survey. How many women think that wieners are weird? I need, I need to know. Cause I I need to know. Yeah. I assume because of the people I know that we're all just like tolerating them. (laughs) Listen, I love my husband's wiener. (laughs) I do. But when you look at it, is it just honestly, when you think about it, 
this appendage on their body, a dick and balls hanging there outside of your body. When ours are inside of our body, like those are your reproductives. That's how you feel pleasure. But they're literally outside of your body. Yeah. The psychology of sex is interesting. I do think the fear of failure comes in on the men's side. And then for women, we have just a higher cost when we, we've always had a higher cost when, when there's sex involved. Um, now birth controls remove that, but our evolution has not necessarily adapted to the invention of birth control. So no, well, and two, I mean, so let's say a woman does get a sexually transmitted disease, then that can affect your reproductive system. It's this whole, like, one path after another, after another, like one decision can alter the rest of your life. And I think more young kids seem to understand that it's not just for fear of having a baby. It's literally all of these other things. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, like, totally. And it, having a baby know. is honestly the, <laughs> probably one of the, I have, to, I, I don't know why I think this, but it's probably one of the lesser repercussions of it all, even though it's a big responsibility. I feel like there are just so many worse things that can happen just from having sex. Well, I think when you bring, when you bring an innocent life into it, that's why it's considered a, a bigger Um, cost because all of a sudden that's the mother's responsibility. She becomes dependent because she has a dependent and then you've transmitted any of those diseases to the baby. Like I really do think the cost of a baby. Yes. And I don't, yeah. Like, but I mean, there are, I just think that there are, yes, I agree. I, I'm not saying that it's not a high cost. I think that they're all high costs. I just think that it, not everyone, not all the youngins, I feel like know all the things. No glove, no love. That's all you <laughs> need to know. Really, for sure. Well, and I think when it comes to, I don't know, we can take fear of failure into this path of like, I was raised in it an environment or just not even raised. Like I grew up with this belief that, you know, you had to save yourself for marriage. And I think that I failed at that, but I was always afraid of disappointing people in my life because of the people pleaser in me. And so, um, it was this thing that I held on to for so long. And it's like, I think that a lot of people struggle with that. I think even now to this day, I'm like, gosh, I kind of wish I would have saved myself for various psychological reasons. Um, but at the end of the day, I also fully believe that like, there are other psychological reasons to not people that there's been plenty of studies that have shown that when the fear is instilled in a child or a teenager or a 20 something that, you know, you should have shame for, you know, having sex before marriage and all this. And so that scares them into keeping this thing sacred. Then when it comes time to have sex on your wedding day or whatever, whenever you end up having sex, you end up in a corner crying, like so shamed that you just did this deed that you're not supposed to do for your whole life. And it's like, there, you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. And it's not everyone, but I do think that the way you approach it is so important. And I will say for myself, it was like an awakening. It was like, I touched a button and it was like, I respect myself. Men do not hold power over me. I, I am the boss ass bitch of my own life. And this is not something that ties me down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, 
aside, like for so long, it was just something like I, it was like, I was a recluse in a shell and I was this tight ass and it was like, someone just pulled the stick out of my ass. Literally is basically what happened. Um, but again, like I am also very like blessed with a partner that like believes in God and had that thought for himself too in, um, high school. And we were kind of on like very similar paths and like have that understanding. And, you know, he had other partners before me. I had other partners before him. And I just think that his belief is that we don't talk about them. We never dated anyone before each other. We never had sex. Anyone before like ignorance is bliss in his mind. And it's come up a couple of times and we handle it fine. And it's, it's fine. But he's just that, like, I understand the sentiment too. Like, I don't want to picture that. I don't want to talk about it, but at the same time, like I like hearing his past and obviously majority of people have had past relationships and that's okay. That's how you learn what you like and all that. I always very much had this thought of, I'm going to meet someone. We're going to be in a relationship. We're going to get married. And that's it. Like, and that, that didn't happen. And I'm, but I'm glad it didn't, especially after what I'm drowning on now, but especially after watching sex life a little bit, because I do think that there's something to the fact, like there's two, two sides of it, right? If you've never loved another, you only have love for this person. You don't know anything else. How can you ideate anything else? But with society and the way that they integrate your brain and and shows, movies, social media, all of this stuff, there's other materials out there that tell you you could be missing out on something and you don't know what you're missing out on. So I'm like, I'm very thankful for my like exploratory period of what I wanted because I don't think I ever really knew what I wanted until I tried it. I'm a very try and see kind of person. And so it's like, I... I'm so thankful for that. Would it also have worked out if I had maybe met my husband earlier and we didn't have to go through all of that? Sure. Would it maybe have been a little bit harder? Who knows? Like, I think that everything happens in the right timing, but the fear, I'm glad the fear went away. I'm glad that all of that, like holding it so close for fear of, of what's going to happen to me or disappointment or whatever, it was I didn't disappoint anyone when I told like my mom, like she was like, were you safe? Okay, great. Yeah. You know? So anyways, I think maybe probably God was a little disappointed in me, but you know, at the end of the day, I forgave myself. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't think God was just so I think God's disappointed when we trash our bodies and we're not careful and we're not treating ourselves like we're treasure and we have a reproductive treasure and, you know, not being responsible. I think that that's where the disappointment comes in. The whole, you know, how God comes into it is, is something we evolved to have. And the religion piece and the the rules piece is something we evolved to have to protect children, to be honest, yeah. and to protect women. Like, that's fine with me. But like, at the end of the day, if it's if it's making you so that you can't have it in the way that it's it's promising you like you can't have this beautiful sexual relationship with your husband because you're so traumatized by it then I think that's right. wrong like I, I do think that, that that was the wrong thing to train young girls to do this, yeah. you know the shame piece that I think people are most afraid of of being publicly shamed 
And that's their biggest fear of failure. Like the ultimate fear of, fa- fear yes. of failure is being a social pariah, so shamed that you can no longer operate in our within right. our species dynamics. So, well, and that creeps in when you when I think about various things, whether that's like, gosh, what if this does fail? What if my business fails? What if I get fired? What if this? The immediate thought is, what will other people think? And I mean, for losing my job, I've lost my job before and I've experienced what other people think. So now I'm really not scared of that. Um, cause I, I made it through, I was fine. I've done it before. And I think that that's like conditioning. Um, I think what it's kind of, when I think of like people who've been divorced, usually they're divorced a couple of times. Um, they, once they've done it once, they no longer have the fear of the shame. And they're just like, eh, this isn't working out. I've I've dipped out before I can do it again. Um, it'd be interesting to know what the study is on kind of like, do most people get multiple divorces? Like what's the ratio, I guess, or what's the percentage? Um, but I do think that, you know, it's just like anything kind of practice makes perfect. Like I, perfect example. I used to be so afraid of dancing in public. I, I didn't want to do it. I just like, we talked about this before. And then I, we had a friend in college who just, she danced so weird and was so free. And she was also like a mentor to me at the time. And I was just like, how I literally, like we had a good enough relationship and she was so open. I was like, how do you, how do you do that? She just like grabbed me. And then we started like dancing at this Halloween party and it was so fun. And it was like, again, someone just like press a button and awaken me. Granted, I think it took a few more times to just like, okay, be this person for now, like channel this person's energy and go do it. And like every time it just got easier and easier. I feel the same about confrontation. Used to hate confrontation. I would literally cry every single time. And now I'm like confrontation queen. Um, whether that be in work or personal, I have to reel myself back in. So I, I do think that there are things that like, if we're afraid of them, like, look at that. We need to look at it. We don't need to shy away from it. It's something that we need to really, really dive into. Why are we afraid of that? Um, is it actually failure? Is it, I mean, I think a lot of it, I mean, dancing, I, I was afraid that I would fail so hard that people would make fun of me. Um, like fail it the dancing moves themselves. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you really like drill down, that's truly what it is. Like just, just purely the thought of dancing in public, like people making fun of me would mean that I failed at life (laughs) in that social setting, you know, like, um, I mean, I was always scared of people making fun of me because I was made fun of when I was younger. So it wasn't like, it wasn't like a fear that they would think, oh, she's not dancing right. It was more like a fear, like, look how weird she moves. Yeah. Weird, how we, weird she is. We don't want to be friends with her. Like you would fail yeah. with the, yeah, in the social hierarchy, mm-hmm. essentially. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Maybe that's uh, interesting. Yeah. Maybe that, I think my fiance has that too. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because my husband doesn't like to dance at all. And I'm like, why? It's so free. So fun. No one gives a shit. 
but I think it's because, and especially at like this stage we're 31, it's like, well, I've never really been a dancer anyways. Although when he gets really drunk, he'll dance and it's adorable. I freaking love it. But he has to be like almost blackout drunk in order to do it. And I'm like, why? It's so cute. And like everyone, everyone loves it. It's a good time. So I don't know. I don't know where that comes from. I feel like when, once you get to an older age, it's like, you're kind of, you're not past doing some of that stuff and like learning new habits. Like I learn new things all the time, but I think you have to, you're almost more closed off to it. Majority of people who aren't actively trying to improve themselves. That's interesting. That's really interesting. The f- uh, yeah, the how the fear of failure runs deep and the ultimate is just like failing socially. And, you know, I don't have that as much. Like I'm really afraid of failing the people that love me. Mm-hmm. And I'm really afraid of of making a mess of my family like my parents did or, you know, like I'm afraid of failing at work. But when it comes to how I'm seen in the world, I've never, you know, I felt, (laughs) I fell down some bleacher steps one time in front of everyone at high school, in high school. And that's the the moment where you're supposed to be like the most mortified. And I remember everybody laughing at me and pointing and all, you know, the guys, the, the popular guys doing that, especially. And then I went and I I found my friends to sit down with them because that was the whole reason I was going down the bleachers was to go sit with them. And I just continued on with the path I was taking after that embarrassing moment and sat with them. And then almost immediately, it was like at a basketball game or something, almost immediately the the attention of the crowd was redirected to the game because somebody made a cool shot or something like that. And everyone forgot that I'd fallen down the stairs. Yeah. And the moment was like, I don't remember being completely mortified, but I'm sure I felt that shame, you know, how you feel it in your ears and like going through your blood. Um, I'm sure I felt that, but I think I more remember the feeling of relief afterwards, like, oh, well, I'm okay. And everybody else doesn't care anymore. So we've all moved on and I could sit here and just like be ashamed of myself, but Nah. Yeah. Like other people fall down the stairs too. So, (laughs) well, I think, so I feel like when things like that happen to you, it, and that's the result, it conditions you to believe in the future. Well, if I just play it off, everything's fine. It'll be fine. And I think when, let's say your first interaction with something like that is, let's say you witness someone falling down the stairs and everyone points and laughs, then you're conditioned to think if I fall down the stairs or do something dumb, everyone's going to point and laugh at me. So I should feel shame when that happens. Right. So I think that like, then when it happens to you, your immediate reaction is shame instead of just like walking it off. Or you can share in the laughter everybody else has. I think that was more my Oh, okay. This is funny. And when it happens to other people, it's funny. So I've like, I've fallen down many stairs, especially when I wear my glasses because I can't see peripherally. And so I always skip a step and it happened to me in college all the time. I was just (laughs) not coordinated enough for stairs. 
And it happened, you know, in the food food court and on my way to class all yeah. the freaking time. And I would be by myself and I yeah. would laugh at myself and let then let other people, you know, you yeah. can too, you know, like oh, I trip funny. all the time, literally <laughs> all the time. And I used to like do a look around. I'm like, did anybody see that? And now I'm just like, yeah, and keep walking, you know. And like, yeah. Yes. I think that it's one of those things that you had to learn though. Like at some point you learned that either you need to feel shame or you need to laugh with the crowd or whatever. Like I'm, I guess the point that I'm making is you learn that along the way, somehow, some way. I think you learn it from how people react and then you have yes. a choice. Like, okay, nobody else is, you know, if you had a friend next to you and all of a sudden they like couldn't look at you because they were ashamed to be seen with you, yeah. then you would learn, okay, we're ashamed of what just happened. Yeah. How do we get out, move on from this? Or if people are just laughing at you, then you can be like, okay, I can, I can choose to act like they're acting, you know? And then yeah. you learn it just from their reactions. Yeah. I feel like I was laughed at and I didn't like being laughed at. I could never partake in the laughter because I didn't think it was funny. Really? Yeah. If you picture yourself falling down somebody's stairs, that doesn't make you just die. <laughs> I mean, yes, now, but back then I was like, I want someone to come check on, like, check on me. Are you okay? I don't know. I also think that like my, I, my perfectionism back then was way heightened. Like I had to be perfect. I had mm-hmm. to do everything. And like, it was, yeah. And it still sometimes is of like, I didn't walk perfectly. My clothes aren't perfect. My hair is not perfect. Oh no. You know? And it's like, okay, Willow, Willow's kicking in. Okay. Yeah. I named my brain Willow. Like everyone i psychologically it's a thing go look it up we can talk about it on a different podcast willow. but i have willow sometimes she's being silly willy and other times she's being wallow willow so anyways so i sometimes yeah now i just like tell her to hit the road but other times like it's i don't know it's one of those things that it's like yeah i like have a self talk of like mm, yeah i'm not perfect it's okay like I'm not, no one is literally, I like, as, as long as I can tell myself, like no one's literally perfect. Like all the people that I thought were perfect in high school or whatever, like they're not like no one or, or perfect in college, all the people like they, they weren't like, I think that that's the biggest thing. That's the biggest lie that we can tell ourselves is that someone else is perfect and hold them on a pedestal. Cause it's just not reality. Like yeah, social and- media has impacted that a lot. And it's like, no, no. Perfect is boring. Even if you are perfect, you're not really perfect because you're boring, I think. <laughs> yeah. It, I loved the, if you're not weird, you don't have a personality. That's my favorite. I'm like, yep, yeah, no, that's true. Everyone's got a little bit of weird in them. And if you don't, I I hope you're weird behind closed doors because you're boring. <laughs> Yeah. Well, we, we could probably wrap this one up. I know we didn't <laughs> like do a whole lot, but gosh, I mean, I, I do think that the fear of failure could really be taken anywhere. So, oh yeah. I mean, I, I think too, you know, you're, you can dive in in a lot of ways and I think really evaluating why look at it. If something scares you, look at it don't just run away from it. Um, 
someone used to say to me, especially like when I moved, I was like, I'm scared. I'm nervous. So like, if you weren't, I'd be concerned. Um, because I think that psychopaths sometimes are, don't have that fear. Um, and there are different, different psychological conditions that don't produce fear. So that that's where that comes in, I think a little bit. So fear is good is what we're trying to say, but look at it. Um, and I, I do think that, uh, it can apply in a lot of different areas of life. Um, and we can, you know, by all means, tell us what you think of penises in the comments. Um, if you, if you choose to, if not, that's okay. We totally understand. Um, and also maybe a little bit about how you deal with fear of failure or just fear in general. Yeah. Love it. Toodaloo. All right. Ta-ta for now. (laughs) Salutations. Salutations. Best regards. Pinkies up and farewell. Hey, subscribe, rate us, and leave a review. Find us on Instagram, The Genuine Gals. Our website is thegenuinegals.com. We'd love to hear from you guys on, on what you think and honestly, what else you'd like to hear us talk about. So we'll catch you next week.